It's not doctored. 90 foot wave. The guy caught and wrote it. Today's sermon is about prayer. It's about dangerous prayers. It's about deep weeds praying. And when you're deep weed praying, it's when things are pretty much out of your control and you really reach where you just cry out to God. It may happen something like this. A couple's married 62 years today, been in Lodema Sis. 62 years celebrating today. Along that journey of 62 years, I know in their life there were some deep weeds praying. There were some times since I've been a part of their lives when the word cancer was in their family and the word heart attack and open heart surgery was in their family. And those were difficult times. Times that, that took us beyond God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Or perhaps it's your daughter-in-law, mid-30s, healthy, takes a run with her husband, short of breath, visits to the doctor, discover a spot on the liver and multiple other places, and uh, cancer, and not sure what the outcome is going to be. Surgery Tuesday for ovarian, the ovarian part of that, but it's spread throughout her body. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a mom that uh, has cancer and, 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 it, and it goes to remission and it seems like victory is there and then it comes back with a vengeance and uh, the doctors say they're not sure what they can do. Or maybe it happens in a theater in Colorado at a midnight showing. Guy opens fire and kills 12, 14 people. And of course a lot of people, some were Christians and they're saying, you know, where's God in this? And and your lady said it right. God is good and man is evil. And that's it. I don't know what it is in your life, I, how, what it looks like in your life. But I've got a suspicion that every one of us has been in a situation where just God is great and God is good wouldn't get the job done. And today in Jonah chapter 2, we're going down probably to the lowest point of, I know, I know, in Jonah's life. It went beyond deep weeds praying to that last two words, dangerous prayers. Today I want to teach you. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us here today and put this into our lives and into our hearts about the most dangerous prayer that we as a people of God can follow. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. You don't have them open yet. To Jonah chapter 2. We're going to preach through Jonah 2 is about 10 verses. We're going to preach through that. We're actually going to pick up with 117 and then do the 10 verses in chapter 2. Then we're going to go back and look at five lessons, five points that we need to know about um, when it comes to dangerous prayer, about deep weeds praying, and how it can really change our lives. You know, it's a very rare day, and I will be very candid with you and honest with you. I've been to pastor's conferences, and the pastor will say something like this. Get your pen and pencil out and take notes. And I don't. I'm not a note taker. Um, I'm a listener. And, and, and I can't do two things at one time. But if I could somehow encourage you to do one of two things anyway, to get your pen and paper out and take some notes today, write down some scriptures, or at least remember Jonah chapter 2. That's pretty easy to remember. In about a week, go online and reference this scripture online, yourstill.com. You can listen to our sermons online there. Because I really think this is a life-changing Type of message. I think it could be radical, 
radically changing to your life and to my life also. So in Jonah chapter 2, it starts out, and you all know this story so well. And again, we're going to pick up at verse number 17 of chapter 1, really. The Bible says there, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And that's a pretty incredible thought if you think about it. But, but here's what I want you to take home. Real simple. Real simple. I want you to take home the lengths that God went to to seek Jonah. I mean, I, again, some pastor wrote a hymn, a poem about the hound of heaven. And I wish I could really help you understand to the extent that God is willing to chase after you. To seek you. I mean, the Bible says there's none that's seeking after God. We're not God seekers. Um, this idea of the seeker service that's kind of uh, uh, you know, anti-scripture is God who seeks after us. And the hound of heaven went so far after he got Jonah out of the boat that God prepared a great fish. Now, again, we've always thought Jonah and the... Well, and there's no proof in Scripture at all that it was a whale. In fact, that word does not even come close to whale. Um, some people have said perhaps a giant shark, okay? But I want to introduce you to the idea that perhaps God created a fish just for the purpose of rescuing and saving Jonah, being used in Jonah's uh, return. I just want to put that thought out to you. And I want to put that out too. Remember that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whosoever believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God went so far to become flesh and born in a manger and lived a perfect life and then died. God died for you that you could have eternal life, open it up to people to come in relationship with the Holy God. He's a, he's a God who doesn't stop short. He's a God who goes all the way. And I just want you to take home today that at least the possibility, well, no, it's not possible, it's truth. God prepared some kind of a great fish because he wanted to seek after Jonah. So, so God prepared this great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, two things that are important. First off this, you really need to understand, and this is true in the resurrection of Jesus, by the way, you know, the scripture said that Jesus is in the tomb three days. And so in, in the Hebrew uh, vernacular, then you have any part of a day counts a day and any part of a night counts a night. For instance, Jesus was in the tomb Friday afternoon, Friday night, all day Saturday. And sometime early Sunday morning, a partial day, he resurrected, fulfilling the scripture, three days, three days. And so we have Jonah here, same, same language, Hebrew, Hebrew, which means he could have been in the well for as little as 30 hours. Okay? So it could have been three 24-hour days, or it really could have been 30 hours. It doesn't matter. But what you need to understand is, is that Jonah was in the fish. I think I already said, by the way, if I say well, just excuse me. I grew up in Sunday school like you did. Okay? All right? So here's what I want you to get. You know, the biggest argument that we have about this story being valid is, could a man survive in the belly of a great fish for three days? As a God follower, I, I just, I go, excuse me? I'm not talking about a, a God who spoke and universes were created. Come on now. I, I'm talking about a God who spoke and created this great world. I, I talk about a God who speaks and can do anything. Um, he's power. He's omnipotent. He's totally uh, beyond our concept of power. 
So I know the world may not understand, but I hope you don't wrestle with that. Because with God, all things are possible. For goodness sake, he took a 14-year-old virgin girl and caused her conceived without a man. We serve an incredible, awesome God. How great, how great, how great is our God. But then I'm going to really blow your mind today. For some of you who really like to chew things over in the Scripture, I'm fixing to really light your fire, okay? Because I wrote down, could a man survive 30 hours or 3 days and nights? Could he do that? With God, all things are possible. But then I wrote down this word, did he survive for 3 days and 3 nights? I think I probably read Jonah chapter 2 at least 30 times in preparing for this. I read it in the New King James, the King James, the uh, the, uh, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Version, the New Living Translation, multiple translations. I did some research online. I did the commentaries. And by the way, one of the really good ones on this is the Holman Holman Old Testament Commentary published by Lifeway, uh, one of our own. It's a very interesting commentary. And my question is this. Did, was Jonah alive for three days and three nights in the belly of well? Or did he die in this experience and was resurrected, brought back to life in the belly of the well? Now, I'm not sure again why some people actually go, huh, what, huh? You know, again, it's, I'm going to show you in the Scripture today. I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible. And, and I, it's only big for a couple of reasons. I'll share that in just a moment. But, but... You've got to understand something. There's a guy named Lazarus. Remember him? Yeah. Yeah, well, he was dead four days. And, in fact, his sister Martha said, when Jesus said, roll the tomb back, Martha said, hey, God, to use the authorized version, God, by now he stinketh. And so he was in a state of decay, and yet Jesus says, roll the stone back and cry out, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy was, who's in a state of decay comes hopping out. i got a feeling with all God, all things are possible. Uh, it really, really is. The, the concept, the, the two reasons I want to point this out to you, it's possible that since we've been taught, and again, a lot of good theologians, go, you know, this is like both sides of the fence. A lot, John Piper is one of the guys that believe Jonah died. And I am absolutely sure in my heart that he did. After reading the Scriptures, and that's what my challenge is to you. Go home, get on the Internet, get in your Bible, get your commentaries, and research this because it's pretty cool. Because there might be a greater miracle than a guy surviving in the belly of a fish alive for, for three days and three nights. It's just possible that we see an Old Testament, another Old Testament resurrection, which is pretty cool. Amen? Pretty cool. But the bigger part of why I want to share this with you is the role of death in dangerous prayers. And you'll hear that at the end of the message. So we have Jonah. He is swallowed by a well. Okay? And we're going to see how that lines up. By a fish. And we're going to see how that lines up as we go through scriptures about the concept of his death. Alright? Now, verse number 1 of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said... Now, now he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the depths of the grave, shoal, the place of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So, so I want you to see already that at some point, for sure, Jonah was alive inside the fish. Now, whether you count this as a near-death experience, or whether you count it as a death experience with a resurrection, that is really incredible. And from the guy 
who was asleep when the pagans were praying. Come on now. From a guy who was prayerless to a guy who is praying is a really cool thing. God, part of, the, part of the pulling of Jonah back to God was to bring him back as a man of God who once again understands, I need to pray. And I need to pray dangerous prayers. And Jonah prayed a prayer, now listen carefully, that God could answer. Jonah prayed a prayer that God can answer. I mean, you guys, some of you kids are still praying for Abram Tanks. Come on, come on. We, we, we spend time praying for things that will make our life more comfortable, like new cars and stuff. But Jonah prayed a prayer that God could answer because it was within the scope of God's will. Listen, here's what he prayed. In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me from the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. The prayer that God can hear when you're in deep weeds is one word. Help! God, I need you. We, deep weeds praying occurs when we finally figure it out that we can't do it. Now, that's a problem in America because we've got money, we've got power, we've got things, we've got great doctors and medical, and we've got this and we've got that. And it's almost like we tag God on after we try everything else. Deep weeds praying involves us reaching a point where we say, God, I need you. I need you. And I hope I can share with you today that that's just not the case for when we're about like in the belly of a, of a, of a fish or, or down at the bottom of the ocean. But it's every day. Just like our brother said, the sovereignty of God is in the most mundane things of life. We need God. I would, I would encourage you to be a person of God who learns to live that you need Him. He literally is the, the breath that you breathe. That you are Desperate for God in every facet and avenue of your life. Jonah reached that point. He goes on and says this. Verse 3. Now watch. You hurled me. Who hurled? God. I thought the boys did. The guys in the boat. No, 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 no. God hurled. He just used the boys. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Did you see the adjective there, the, the pronoun? All your waves and all your breakers. So now get this. The God you love. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? That God hurled a man into the sea. And that God covered him with God's caused wave and God called swells, breakers. Well, why would God do that? Because God has something in store for Jonah. And Jonah has got to get to the point where he'll say, help! And God will bring instances into your life. I hate me to bear bad news. God will bring instances in your life, allow instances into your life, where He will cause you to say, help. Because God wants you depending on Him. He does not want you depending on yourself. Now, you've got to get this, guys. I know, I know, I know. It goes against Western culture. Our brother Olstein in Texas sure wouldn't like it. But the Bible sure likes it because it teaches it. Okay? Now, watch this. 
I said, he's fixing to give one of the greatest statements of faith. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Now, let, let me read a couple of scriptures from, from Job thirteen fifteen. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In the midst of Job's lost his children, his wealth, everything, he says it's about his God. I don't care if God kills me, I'm going to trust him. That is, when, when Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, he's saying that even though somehow I will see God again. Listen to this wonderful scripture. Also from Job 19. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know, say I know. I know my Redeemer lives. Come on now. And He shall stand at last on the earth. He listen, he, Job didn't understand all about Jesus and the resurrection. But he said, I know my Redeemer lives and will stand again upon the earth. He says, I know this. And after my skin is destroyed, after my, my bones have rotted, after my skin has rotted, this I know that in my flesh, say flesh, not in my spirit, in my flesh I will see God. Job just knew that somehow he could trust God even though he slay him and that the end was not the end. Brothers and sisters, in your life, the end is not the end. And you need to live that way. Some of you think if life doesn't turn out sweet here, somehow it's the end. Honey, the sweetness is coming. And it's better than honey. It's better than Bonnie's homemade cinnamon rolls. It's better than Tom's donuts every Sunday. I'm telling you, there's something sweeter in that. And that is eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in a place that's called heaven. And it's yours if you know Jesus. It's yours if you know Jesus. It's yours if you know Jesus. There's something better than this world. So if life here isn't as you planned it, don't think God's been mad at you. Don't think God has deserted you. Understand that God is being God. That's what He's doing. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So we go a little bit further now. In verse number 7 through 10. My life was ebbing away. Well, no, I'm sorry, can I back? Because I've got to show this to you. I can't let it go by. Let me finish that statement in verse number 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And watch, watch, watch. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. Now there's a concept that Job went into the water and the fish him up. Does that line up with scriptures? To the roots of the mountains. Job sank down to the bottom. Come on now, are you with me? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you brought me up from the pit, from the place of death. See, this resurrection idea, you almost have to, over, you have to ignore Scripture to make it work. Our God can bring men and women back to life. And I believe He did here. I don't know how long you can hold your breath, but let's assume the ocean was 40 or 50 feet deep. Could you hold your breath long enough for you get down to the very, very bottom? Don't think so. Some men can, but not very many. No indication that Job could. And then he says, though, as my life was ebbing away, as the lights were turning out, 
as things were about to be over, Lord, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I love this. Job's last thoughts, for some of you who are wrestling with consciousness, Job's last thoughts in this life was of God. How great it is when a person can say, my last thoughts is not of what's on the other side. My last thoughts are, oh no, I hope God knows my name. How great it is when your last thought is, I hope there's a heaven and a hell, and I hope that giant scale tilts in my favor. How powerful it is for the person whose last thoughts can be of God and of Jesus Christ and that Savior, that death is not something to fear, but something to embrace because of the resurrected Christ. What will your last thoughts be? Can you slip into the wonderful bosom of Jesus today without fear of death. I hope, I hope that you can. My life was ever away. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Then he says something that's a very powerful word of warning and lesson to each one of us. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. First off, this. If you're here today and someone invited you, or, or maybe for some reason you got up and said, I think I'll go to church today. I've been in church in a long time. And, and you don't know a whole lot about God, and you don't know about, about the, the cross and Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. That God has grace for you. There is no giant scale. That if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing that the God-man, Jesus, died on the cross for your sins because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you by faith will believe that Jesus is who He said He is and did what He said He could do, then guess what? You can experience God's grace. But if you decide to cling to worthless idols, you're going to forfeit the grace of God. And when you forfeit the grace of God, there is death. There is a judgment. And the Bible clearly teaches that those who die without Jesus will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Your unforgiven sin will cause you to be separated. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can experience God's grace. Not making you a badness. Not trying to get you to come to church. I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient. No matter how far down your road you went... God's grace is sufficient. Can I have an amen? It is. It is. It is. But, God followers, Jesus followers, believers, Christians, this applies to us too. Because in America, we love to cling to worthless, worthless idols. And when we do that, we forfeit the grace of God. Not losing our salvation. Because you see, there's different kinds of grace. Someone once said, I don't have dying grace. You ain't dying yet. And and, and in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul talks about this grace, about the masculine church and this grace, and it was giving. There's a grace to give. There's a grace to live. There's a grace to be a mama. There's a grace to be a daddy. There's a grace to be a good husband. A grace to be a good wife. Grace to be a good employee. But when we worship idols, when we say, I'll do it, and listen, When you say no to God, you're saying, I'll do it my way. 
When you do it my way, you forfeit God's strength and power and ability to help you as a God follower to go through this life. I'm telling you, I'm looking you dead in the eye and telling you why some of you are struggling is you're trusting in self and not in holy God in everyday situations. Prayer to you is God bless this food, God bless the missionaries, and by the way, can I have this or have that? And prayer is so much more than that. So much more than that. So if you worship, if you cling to other gods, you forfeit this grace that could be yours. That's why we don't have the abundant life. That's why Christian, Christianity is boiled down to coming to church and hope God does something. Because we're forfeiting that grace. Now, God has got Jonah where he needs to be. God, help. The fish comes along, at some point swoops him up, and either he's, he's in the belly, alive, or God resurrects him in the belly. does not matter. Okay? does not matter. But God, all of a sudden, Jonah starts praying. This prayer is part live and part video. Have you ever watched the news? There's live reporting and video. Part of this is a recounting of what he prayed on the way. Have you ever prayed on the way down before? Come on now. Have you prayed on the way down before? And then sometimes, when you hit the bottom, you pray. So some of this happened, obviously, when he was still in the water... And some of his prayed life. He's recanting, or not, not recanting, he's recalling what he prayed, and then he's praying now live. Here's what he says. But I, he says, don't count me in those anymore who cling to worthless idols. Don't count me in that camp, he says. But I, one, I will, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Jonah says, I'm a changed man. If God can either A, keep me alive in the belly of a fish for three days, or if God can resurrect me, I want you to know something. That's the kind of God I want to worship. And the worship entails what? Thanksgiving. Come on now. Come on. Come on. Come on. We don't tell God thank you enough. We don't tell God, thank you enough. Jonah says, I'm a changed man. I, I am going to sing a voice of thanksgiving to God because of what he did. But he also says this, what I have vowed, I will make good. I not only will worship, I will serve. God didn't leave me here just for my want-tos. God saved me to serve him. Come on, God saved me to serve Him, and I will make good on the vow. I've got a date with Nineveh. I'm going to be the preacher that God wants me to be. I'm going to be the deacon that God wants me to be. I'm going to be the committee member that God wants me to be. I'm going to be the church member that God wants me to be. I'm going to be the witness that God wants me to be. Because He only says, He only says, with a song of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you. And not only does he say, what I vowed I will make good, he says salvation comes from the Lord. He's going to tell people what God has done for him. Deep weeds does that for you. Deep weeds will help you to be a witness. So he says, I will do this. And after that, say after that, he, the, the, the fish is going to get the bellyache. Of course, you can't let that pass out the standing joke. Preachers do give people the stomachache, okay? 
And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Okay. Once Jonah reached a point where he says, I'm done with worthless idols. I don't want to forfeit your grace. I will be a witness. I will worship. I will serve you. God says, school's out. Deep weeds over. The old fish pulls up on shore, opens his mouth and goes, bleh. And kind of a little bit gummy and perhaps bald and a little bit white looking. There's the preacher. A different man than he went in. A different man than he went in. So now let's real quickly, and we're doing good. Let's real quickly go through five things. Now I wish you'd write these down. If not, promise me you'll listen to the video. Write these things down, though. Number one is this. God is God, period. God is God, period. Um, We've got to grasp this. God is in control. My brother said it. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the big things. He's sovereign over the little things. God is in control. But what we don't get is this. That God is in control and God is sovereign to bring about His purposes and not mine. And that's where we have a problem. We assume that God God exists to give us, to help us in the way that we want. Listen. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is the Creator. And God will fulfill His purpose. And if that happens to go along with your purpose, that's fine. But if it's His purpose over your purpose, you're out. We have reduced prayer to trying to change God's mind, which I don't get because James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And if every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of God, and God is omnipotent and omniscient and knows everything, then why in the world are we trying to change His mind for something that would be second best instead of what is first best, which is His? Uh, hello? Did you follow that? Why are we trying to tell God, give me something that's less than what He had planned for us anyway? God is God. And He wants to finish His purpose out. Now let's take just a moment and let's go back to the garden, shall we? Let's, let's not go down the belly of a fish. Let's go to the garden. We're with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is Matthew chapter 26 in this particular county. Then Jesus came to them, the guys... To a, with a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. This is New King James, by the way. Then he said to them, My soul... Now listen, now this is the Lord Jesus. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Are you getting it? Jesus, your Savior, before He dies on the cross, says, knowing what's coming, Him becoming sin and the physical agony, He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So He goes a little further, fell on His face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way possible that I don't have to become sin, if there's any way possible that I can miss the cross, okay. 
But, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Well, he came back to the boys and found them sleeping. Why couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing and the flesh is weak. Then we hear this again. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed this. Oh, my father. Say father. This is not some abstract God. This is his father. If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. The most dangerous prayer that you can pray is your will be done. And it is absolutely essential to the follower of Jesus Christ. After all, if the Son of God prayed it, if the Son of God, knowing Him becoming sin, knowing the agony and physical distress of the cross, said, Father, if there's any way, I was born for this purpose. I know this. This wasn't a whoops. Y'all surprised me. He was born for that purpose. And being God, He knew that. But He said, if there's any way, nevertheless, your will be done. If Jesus did that, it makes sense to me as a Jesus follower, I should pray the exact same way. And the reason it's a dangerous prayer is because God's purposes are higher than our purposes. If I was praying, can I be honest with you, there would be no midnight shootings in Colorado. Every person would be healed. Come on, I don't want you sick. As your pastor, I pray everyone, be healed. You would be. Every person have a job. There'd be no shortage of food. But God is God. And God is sovereign. And His ways are higher than my ways. And He's working out His purpose even when I don't understand it. Did you write that down? Because in about three days, you're going to have one. Something's going to happen in about three or four or five days or a year from now in your life. And you're going to say, God, where are you? I thought, God, I thought. And he's going to bring this message back to you. Do you remember when your pastor taught you the truth? That you have to pray that dangerous prayer? That I love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not on vacation in Florida. I've just got a purpose. I'm working out. That's what we learn in the garden. In the classroom, we hear something like this. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a purpose. He's working out. And it's His will in heaven on earth, not our will in heaven as we want it on earth. You understand? How can I pray that? You serve an incredible God who loves you. You serve a God that you can trust. So God's sovereign. He's God. Period. Second this. Deliverance comes in strange packages. Deliverance comes in strange packages. Um, Deliverance, answers to prayer, sometimes look like a giant fish. Who wants to eat you? Sometimes deliverance, an answer to prayer, involves a fiery furnace. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who said, I'm not going to serve your gods, O king. Threw him into the furnace and had a barbecue with Jesus. 
and they came out, not even smelling like smoke. Sometimes deliverance, answer prayers, looks like a fiery furnace. Sometimes, praise God, it looks like a spoiled funeral. Woman's carried her dead son out, out of, out of name. Jesus comes, shows up, and here's what's going on. This is her only son. She's a widow. Jesus walked up, spoiled the funeral, spoiled it all, said, Hey, boy, get out! And he stood up and started talking. That will ruin a funeral. Come on, y'all, amen? See, sometimes it's just like we want it, but sometimes it's not. But he's still God. He's still sovereign. It doesn't change. So regardless of how it goes, whether it's a giant fish eating you, or you're in a furnace with Jesus, or he's full the funeral and the cancer's cured, or the funeral's over, whatever it is, you've got to have this understanding. I love this. Listen. This is John 19. Pilate said to Jesus, remember Pilate, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all. Say no power at all. Say it again, no power at all. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Ask Job. Satan had to ask God's permission to touch Job's life. Satan can't take a pot shot at you anytime he wants to. Listen, do you think he'd let me stand up and preach week after week or any preacher? Don't you think we'd have sudden heart attacks? Come on. Is God God or is He not? I said, is God God or not? Are you, are you believing that Satan somehow is equal with God and, and Satan and can somehow win? Uh-uh. Well, it had no authority. So the only reason you can do what you do today is because my Father's allowed it. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what your storm is like today, for whatever reason, we may not understand it, your Father's allowing it. He's in control. He's in charge. He's sovereign. All things work together for good. Say all things. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. This doesn't mean every situation is good. It just means God can bring good out of all situations, including tragedies. I can't see it from this distance, but somehow there's been good brought already from Colorado. Some person's life has been changed. That was, a, that was an evil act by an evil man in an evil world. But God can bring good out of that evil situation. Listen to verse 29. For whom he foreknew, that's us, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is working to make us look like Jesus. That's what life is about. All right, third thing is this. Find the bottom and look up. Find the bottom and look up. This is huge. Now, whether it's a near-death experience or Jonah died, does not matter. He hit bottom. He found the bottom and he looked up. You know what they do? If you notice, they're building a new, I think, a new overpass in Marion. And they're driving steel girders into the ground. They will drive those steel girders down until they hit rock solid. When they built the new trade center in New York, they, they talked about how far they had to drive those pillars 
down to the bottom. You've got to get to the bottom and then you can look up. Because when we get to the bottom, it's at that point when we cry out to God. Now, here's something. When you get to the bottom, there's a couple of things that are going to happen that's huge. And these are writer downers. You'll find yourself in a position of repentance and a position of dependence. A position of repentance and a position of dependence. You'll find yourself... In fact, I asked this question. I'm fixing to answer it. Based on that outlook, if we get to the bottom and find ourselves in a lifestyle of repentance and a lifestyle of dependence, should we not be bottom dwellers? Should we not be bottom dwellers? God wants us to live in a... He wants us to be so sensitive that when I talk about Charlie, that my heart is instantly convicted I have sinned against my God. He, he wants me so in a position to where if, if I am not, not meeting the needs of my wife, I'm not loving her as I should, that I feel conviction of that. He wants us to live that way. And He really wants us to live where we need Him. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, the old hymn says. That's where God wants us to live. And based on that, should we not be bottom dwellers? And the answer is yes. I'll answer it myself. The next point says this. You have to die to live. You have to die to live. God calls us to die so that we can live. Listen to this. I am crucified. Say crucified. Now, honey, if you're crucified, you're dead. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God wants to bring you to a point to die in yourself, in your flesh, in your desires, in your wants, and live in Jesus Christ. That's what He wants. He wants you to die. Listen to this verse. Matthew 16. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Watch. This is Jesus speaking. Let him die to himself. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a God follower, you've got to die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? God wants you to die. Because in dying, you truly live. Listen to the old preacher just for a minute. What if, what if the key to experiencing this abundant life that Jesus promised was us dying? And in the 21st century, we forgot how to die. What if? What if it's as simple as saying, Help! And then saying, God, it's your gig, not mine. God, it's your plan, not mine. God, it's your will, not mine. Do you think that would be life-changing? 
Do you think that changed life in America? Do you think America would be a different nation if all of God's people, you know, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominationals, all started living like that? Do you think America might have a little different state of condition? Now, this, this isn't that hard, folks. That'd be a good place to say amen. Y'all act like I'm preaching about giving you 40% of your income away. This ain't a money sermon. It's a sermon that's going to help you in your deep weed situation. That leads us to the last one. Faith looks fear in the eye and declares victory. Faith looks fear in the eye and declares victory. What did Job say? God, even if you slay me, I will trust you. Jesus, people walked away and left. He turns to his disciples and says, will you leave me also? Peter goes, where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe you're the God man. Where will we go? Who else could we turn to? John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. First Corinthians fifteen fifty five. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, oh Shoal, oh Pit, oh abode of the dead, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law, but thanks be to God, say thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith looks fear in the eye and declares victory. That the grave can have no power. Satan can have no power. Sin can have no power. We are victorious through the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we die, we shall live. And then he says says these words. Therefore. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what's the most dangerous prayer you can pray? Your will be done. It's important at the bottom of the sea, dead or alive, it's important in the fish's belly. But it's important in about five minutes we have the invitation. Because you're going to decide, am I going to do my will and say, I don't care what you say, preach, I'm living it my way. In fact, I don't care what God says, I'm going to live it my way. It's important in five minutes because I'm going to call you to the altar to pray. And some of you are in deep weave right now. A friend has cancer. And I don't know, by the way, what God will do. 
This, uh, this is an altar call to come and pray. And we're going to pray deep we prayer. We're going to say, God, help. And God, we pray that you'll bring healing. But God, if you don't, we're going to trust you. You remain our bottom line, even if we don't get the answer we want. Some of you need a job. Some of you repent. Some of you are so filled with sin, and you just need to come to this altar, you and God, and do business. And say, God, this message was for me today, in a sense that I'm the man running from you. I am that Jonah. And we need to be willing to say, God, your will be done. Hey, your marriage? I mean, if you need a counselor, yeah, that's great. But begin with this. I've not been the husband I should be. It's time for me, God, to do your will. Uh, wife? Uh, I've not been the wife I should be. I've not been the parent I should be. I've not been the employee I should be. I've not been the student I should be. Thy will be done. So I'm going to have, have time of prayer. And the invitation is this. We're going to invite you to come to the altar and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Allow this to represent the point where Jonah was where he simply said, God, help. And you know, it's really cool. When you get to that point, you don't care what your neighbor says, what your husband or wife says. If you've never been to the altar in 10 years, you just don't care about that. You finally say, okay, you know what? I need help. I need help. So I invite you to come in a minute. We're going to pray. And part of that prayer is going to be, God, bring us to this being a lifestyle. Not, a, not a, an emergency uh, exit. But God, a way of life. Of repentance and dependence. Turning from sin. Leaning on God. Let's pray together. Father, your word is beyond incredible. I praise you and I thank you for it today. Father, I pray... That the Holy Spirit right now, well, I pray He's already been speaking to hearts. I believe all my heart, Holy Spirit, that only you can change lives. Only you can affect change. Only you can cause action. Only you can cause folks to cry help. So I'm asking that you've already done your work. And that you'll lead people to turn to you today. If there's a friend here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ, who has been clinging to worthless idols, that today, today they may embrace your grace. If we as a people of God have been clinging to other things in this world that seem more important than you, and we forfeit your grace, may we come home today. And Father, as we invite people to come for prayer, Father, we pray that great leaps of faith will take place. We'd be willing to ask, Father, for great things. Great things. Yet God understanding that you make no mistakes. That you are wise. You are faithful. And you love us. We believe that with all our hearts. So you have your way in this time of invitation. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.